My mob is from the Hunter Valley. My mother was a Camilleroy woman, my father was Scottish. We came to Sydney in 1945, I was four year old, and I've been on this land for 78 years. My ancestors, many, many thousands of years before that, we're the oldest living culture on earth and we have still not been offered a treaty whatsoever. In saying this, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Cabrigal people of the Darug Nation, and to pay our respects to their elders past and present and those emerging in any Torres Strait Islanders Aboriginal in the audience tonight, Yama, 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 which is my mother's language for welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. I like mango. I was going to say sorbet. that. Yeah, I like oh, sorbet. I like mango gelato. Like, wow. I eat all ice cream. <laughs> yeah, anything. <laughs> anything. Yeah, I buy by the packets. Okay. This podcast series leverages the beauty and richness of culture, diversity, and highlights the many stories that make up Western Sydney. We want to break through the stereotypes of what it means to be Australian and celebrate the strengths and uniqueness of our vibrant, thriving community. My name is Hashi. And this is Sarah. This is Same Same Different. This is Western Sydney. Share your journey. Tell your story. Speak your mind. Find your voice. We have Uncle Malcolm here with us today who's been so kind to join us on our new storytelling platform. I just wanted to ask, first of all, who is Uncle Malcolm? Well, I've been a member of the Ganangara Land Council. I joined in 1996 and when I joined I had to go back to the country where I was from, which is the Hunter Valley, where all my relatives were. And I went up to Murrurundi. It's a little town, 20 kilometres this side of Barmadale. I got relatives at Kyogle and my original great-grandparents are from the Pearl River settlement up there, the Aboriginal settler down the side of Armadale. And as I said, we come to Sydney and we moved to a little town called Condal Park, West Bankstown it was called. There was two dairies and a chicken farm there and the brick pit where we all learnt to swim, of course. We'd all get down there in our sunbathed suit. <laughs> in them days, like Aboriginal kids, in them days we were known as dirty little abo half-castes because we were not allowed to vote until 1967. You go to Vietnam in 1962, same as in the Second World War, Korea, you could not go into the pub with your mates to have a drink. And they said 1967, I you were classed as fauna and flora. You weren't human. They brought it in, everything seemed to change, but it's still not going well. I get in there and I get cranky, yeah, and as I said, I joined the land council and we sat there and when we started, the communities all started to get together. We started up here at uh, 103 Moore Street. That's where the original land rights actually started in Liverpool. And all the old members, most of them have passed now, but in them days it was a battle to get a crew together to have a meeting to get the quorum. We'd get out in our cars, run around and grab them at the pub or wherever and come on, we're going down here and we're going to have a meet. And that way we got better and better and better at the thing and then we started looking after housing and people on the dole used to be able to come in and get a loan every and then, but it's all stopped. I just look at it now, I was on the board for a couple of years and I started to meet a lot of people and that's when I met Rachel and actually got fed. My family, well mainly Lebanese Aboriginal, we got... Sunni Shiite and Christians. That's an interesting mix. And my little great grandkids, 
Lebanese Aboriginal, they're my little Aborigines. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that That's is true. <laughs> and the main thing I tell them is your culture. Make sure you learn the Lebanese culture and the Australian culture. That is very, very important. The same with our Aboriginal kids. Australians, they've got to learn the Australian culture and keep their own. This is why I do it. And I love coming to the MRC. I watch their little kids there and I tell them the same thing. Make sure and help them whatever you can. And I believe everyone should get a fair go. None of this business where they call, like my grandkids call them, like we were called Abos or then called Mogs or something. I say, knock them out straight off. You know, don't take it, which is true. Yeah. But you find there's a lot, it has changed, but you always got that racist out there that's, you don't want nothing to do with them, but you've got to suffer them more or less. Yeah. And that's the main thing with me. I just like to see everything going smoothly. And Ganagara, as I said, with them down there, they do a hell of a lot. In the last 12 months, we've done wonders down there and things are going to get better. We've got the good medical centre there and things are really going ahead. And you'll see next year with our kids. My granddaughter's at the Macquarie University. She's a lecturer there in Aboriginal education. She goes all down from Rockhampton, was it? Rockhampton, right down to Hobart on NAIDOC work. <laughs> Yeah. She had a ball. She goes and does that, and then the sister's learning law. She's in there doing law. I've got another granddaughter, forensic scientist, up in Queensland. Two of her brothers are with uh, Rio Tinto as field officers. They've done their time. And then in Melbourne, two of them work for the ATO. <laughs> They're well off there. And they all went through Aboriginal education. And this, what I said, we're getting a bit of funding, when you look at it, with all the mines we've got and everything, and the amount... All the money goes overseas, but now we're starting to get a bit more back off the government. Now land, we've got plenty of land and we're keeping it. Anything they want now, they're going to lease off us. We're not selling nothing. As for artefacts and all that, I get heaps of them. You know, when I go around for different areas and that, I've got stuff at home. Uncle Steve Williams, he was one of our elders that used to do all the smoking ceremonies when he passed away. I was honoured when his sister got us to go and clean the house and bag of boomerangs and didgeridoo and all that and I got them and now we've got our culture centre coming up especially with the Badgeridge Creek Airport I was out there about five weeks ago do a welcome to country out there and they got to sign up 28,000 jobs by the time it opens and now out of that they're supposed to be 3% Aboriginal and I said to the fellow how many's working here now and he said uh, oh, about 340 how many Aboriginals are there? He said, seven. I said, that's not three percent. And he looked at me, I said, oh, an Aboriginal can add up. I said, yeah. He just thought that. He said, we'll put it together. He said, we'll make sure that they are employed. Well, that's our aim, get our kids into employment. I'm working with the Army. They've got cadetships and apprenticeships. Well, mate, they do not have to join the armed services if you take either of those positions. And you got your choice. When you come 18, if you want to join, you can join. It's electrical work and mechanics, which is good. A lot of the kids off the road, and we're going to have a retraining centre. So the ones that are in trouble, well, we'll train them. I've been to the prison at, down at uh, Long Bay, and I tell you, it's shocking. When I went in there, we got they put on a special day for us. And when we got in there, there were a couple of kids from out at Green Valley I knew. I said, I thought you was going boundary riding. And he went, oh, what happened? He says, we uh, went down the shopping centre and we couldn't get a job. So my mate said, we had no money, so we'll come and break into a few cars. He said, next time we got in here, I said, well, how do you like being in jail? He said, it's my second time. And I said, well, how come second time? He said, well, when you get out, you don't see the parole officer for three weeks. When you see him, he'll say, oh, well, 
come and we'll fill these forms out for you, take them to the employers and that. The next thing you know, you go down to see the employer and they say, what have you been doing for the last trials in jail? Well, look, we'll give you a call. Next thing you know, we're back down at the shop because they're not going to call and back out on the road and on the drugs and that's another thing, we've got to stop the drug deal and that's where my position with the police. We get the people, the public, like in the community, come to us, don't put their name down, just write the addresses of these scumbags who are selling the stuff and I hand it to the police at Liverpool and then they go bang, knock them off and that's what we want to see, the streets cleared. Is that right now? <laughs> I wanted to ask you, going back to what you mentioned earlier in regards to when you guys started bringing together the communities, what was the initial idea, you know, when you thought, OK, let's bring the communities together, what was the intention and what, and it, you know, was it what, you, what it is now? Well, what we wanted to do, them days, the people didn't mix, there was nowhere to meet. Most of them, you'd get down there and you'd see arguments left, right and centre, because they weren't, well, look at this way, there were a hell of a lot of racists back then. And they'd go in, they might have one beer and they call them drunks and God knows what. And there's a lot, like these white people and Aboriginals that can't hold liquor. And we got together there and we said, if we start, they start up this land council, they'll start be able to do things, have meetings and try and get them all in together and get the kids into the sport, push them in. And we'd look around and know a few coaches here and a few coaches there and encourage the kids. And we had some champion kids like footballers. You look at them around here and like Ashcroft School and all the other ones. And that was the idea, get the kids off the road, get them into work and try everything you can, do that. And we had people coming down from the bush, a lot of the trainers from up there had come down, boxing trainers and sports trainers. And the kids were getting a fair go, like they weren't, uh, like, get out and, you know, do what you have to do. And then a lot of the places, they wouldn't let them play sports. You got a certain teachers there, well, we went and never talked to them. And when the kids got going, they got really keen, and they are, you get them, they really love their sport, especially boxing. And when PCYC put that one down there, it was unreal. Hardly any kids in the shopping centre, any, hardly any at all in the shopping centres, where they used to hang around, hang around. And, and uh, now, you go to Millie, you hardly see any of them, that everything's fallen into place, you go down to, PCYC, and they got heaps of kids in there. They've got to go over Christmas, it doubled, it trebled, how the amount that got in there. The only thing that I got cranky was because they put the prices up, <laughs> as you know. Well, I, I want you to come down and have a talk with Jake. I spoke to him, uh, was last week, I think it was, and he said it was in town. Well, I've seen Vlad and Empress with that photo of Mick Fuller, the, the commissioner. His name's Mick and my name's Mel. We're the Leyland brothers. <laughs> I told them down here, I said, you get smart with me and I'll get my mate Mick on to you. <laughs> I wanted to um, yeah. ask you, so obviously it's, it was for the children, right, to get the kids off the street That's to it. create that positive um, yeah. change in their lives. Yeah. And obviously there's so many organisations that I know of and, for example, PCYC that are doing so much for the children. Mm. Um, what, what I do for work, I see a lot... Um, into prisons and I look into the criminal justice system yeah. and the sad reality is that Aboriginal people are grossly overrepresented in the criminal justice system. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about that? What do you think that we should be doing as a community to bring those rates down to help them? Well this part, as I said, they get in that groove, the kids there, they've got to be taught respect, that's the first thing we've got to do, get them to respect they're elders and the law, they get in there and they're easy led because, you know, they get a few 
just to come into a group of white kids, they think it's fantastic. And a lot of them will use them, yeah, they'll come in and then they'll say, why don't we come down here and I bet you can't climb up and bust that window and get in there or something like that, yeah, and the kids will do it because they think they're impressive. Yeah? But you'll find when they go to jail, they seem, well, look at the percentages, it's shocking. Yes. There's definitely something wrong with the system there. Well, that's what we've got to try and get around. So they, I don't think they get a fair go, a lot of them. They just go, oh, get him out, you know, like he's not much chance there. And it stands out. Well, if you look at uh, Facebook and my granddaughter is Amy Tunney, see what she has to say about the, mm. the judge and the uh, legal system. I to be careful. <laughs> I got <laughs> my badge there. <laughs> they woke up who you are. But that woman that was shot dead not long back and all that, she goes off like Amy. And as I said, that's why we want these retraining centres. It was very, very urgent. We're thinking down in Park Road off Elizabeth Drive. We've got a block down there. And it's not too far out of town. And I've said it years ago. Get out there. I said, all you old fellas, instead of sitting around on your backsides all day, all you that are retired, come down there and teach the kids. Send them to the job. If they stay in it for a week or two and they say, oh, I don't like this, don't let them walk away. Bring them back and show them something else. You know? Spend the time with them and educate them. Because these days, I was at a... Was it yesterday or the day before? We were out at the Catholic Club and they were going on about this business with the education. Now, they were... An employment expert was, and they were talking about how the kids this year that come for the jobs were the dumbest lot of kids they've ever had. They said, it's getting worse each year. And they said, what do you make it out for? And I thought straight off, I said, well, if you take those calculators off and make them use their brain instead of just say, Google, what's the answer? Yeah. This is it. I said, what happens? They're working for and there's a blackout. They said, we're buggered. They've got nothing. They want to sell this stuff. They don't know how to add up. They don't do nothing. And I think this is the thing, the education system. Every time I look in that, I said to them, that's, that's right. I said, yeah. I said, when I was a kid at Connell Park, I was about eight-year-old, five, six, seven, eight. We had an old weatherboard shed. That corner was kindergarten, that corner was first, second and third class. I said, you, Dad Garcia, you got it wrong, you got a bell across the arse with a cane. Well, I thought it was unreal. I said, true. I said, you, you had a bell at India. I said, we got it there. I said, and if you didn't get things right in the first week, that was it. You know, you just got flogged these days. The kids haven't got a clue if that calculator battery goes flat or whatever. They need educating and that's what we want to do with our kids. Yeah. That's the main thing. We've got five academics up there. And Adam here, Melissa, she's hired them all. And that place has gone ahead and leaps and bounds in the last 12 months. And I've been there nearly 25 years. She is the best thing that's ever happened to it. I've never seen like it. That's what we want to do. Go ahead and see the kids, look after the kids, and you'll find that's our land council. And if all the others, we get going, all the others will follow suit. But with the legal system, there's definitely something wrong with the sentences handed down when you look at it. And now I say if they do something, they've got to pay for it. But it just doesn't seem right now when you see what sentence they get and someone that does a similar thing and walk away, which is... 
Okay. I just wanted to take you back to a point you mentioned way earlier, yep. where you said people would call you by really racist terms. Yeah. Um, and I know that a lot of people are confused about the right terminology to use when addressing people. So what could, would you be they able to They always say it's the, the name now is First Australians or Aboriginal, not Indigenous, because mm -hmm. that's all over the world. Indigenous, we're Aboriginal people or the first Australians, that's what's come in now. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with the treaty. We're the only one in the British Commonwealth that's never been offered a treaty. Yeah. And as they say with your history, when we were kids at school, Captain Cook described Australia, he didn't. He did not. No way in the world. he came up the East Coast and he wasn't a captain. He got promoted later. I think he came here in 1770 and they come out here in 1788. I heard that on a quiz yesterday. <laughs> So don't think I'm extra intelligent. <laughs> okay, no, that's true, I did. <laughs> but uh, Dirk Hartog, that's definite over in Shark Bay with a pewter dish. We learned all that at school. But, uh, yeah, we were called all sorts of names. And even now in the bush, when I went up to Murrurundo, what, uh, 25 years ago, I called into the courthouse when I was after my paperwork and I said I was going to Armadale and he, what do you call him, uh, chamber magistrate, looked at me, he was a traveller man, he said to me, you're going in there, he said, be careful, there's them and us. That's the exact words he said to me, I never forgot it. There's them and mean? us, like white and black. You go, you can go around the country areas now and they are still that thing. Well, you go most of them places, you can go to the pub when you get your dole check, but when that goes, you're not allowed in that back door. Get away from here. And that's, that's how it's been. But I've watched it, as I said, I grew up early amongst it. I watched my mother. She wasn't get on the bus, no one would ever get up and give her a seat until I was about 12 on this site. They soon got up and give her a seat. And we had a few families moved in the area, like Aboriginal families, and we started to meet and get together. And that's what we find out here now. This is one of the most populated parts here in Fairfield for Aboriginal community. And they are, as I said, Gandangar is doing a hell of a lot for them now. And in the new year, they will be doing a lot more for the kids. We're going to have barbecues again at the end of the month and Rachel will be invited. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm all for this business of going ahead and that's our main motto for the year. That's our aim. Go ahead and do things for the, instead of talking about it. Do it. Yeah. And Melissa's the one that will do it. She's determined and uh, that's why I said... I'm not brown tongue or anything. She is definitely the best we've ever had. You listening, Mel? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you, so you gave the example of how you would go on the bus and no one would give your mum a seat until you came to that age and you yeah. would demand it for your mum or yeah. for yourself. That's it. Growing up, like, you know, how did you deal with that, dealing with those negative words, those experiences? And, you know, you're a strong person and I can <laughs> see it? that. But that is the people, only way you got around yeah. it. You'd have to fight, and that's fair dinkum. Yeah, you know, you'd wait, you get off the bus, you wouldn't, you'd wait till they got off and you got off at the same stop. And that way you just tell them straight, say it now, yeah. And uh, them days, the pub's six o'clock closed and, and that's when you had a lot of trouble, yeah, they'd get on the bus, what are you here, tell them, so he's doing it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's still there, it's yeah. still there. You always still get the same, as I said, with me grandkids and that, they call them wogs and God knows yeah. what. And I said, well, when they do that, you know what to do. It's only the certain few now, it's, but they're there and they're the ones that stir and start things out, especially if there's like car action. I was it the other night 
And the young bloke was Lebanese, so what happens then, the mob on the footpath come out and that started. Well, he didn't have much chance. He was busted up a bit and they bowled it, but they caught up with him. <coughs> that happens quite often. But as I said, they, it's just something that's got to be taught in the schools and make sure that it comes through, because that's what we have to do. We're always taught to stand up and give the elders a seat, and that's what you did. You look now, not just stand there anymore, sit there, and they don't care who it is. And I said, no, they make it up. It's all changed, as I said. Take them, all that electronic things off the kids and make them learn properly. Otherwise, imagine in 20 years' time, if you had a business and you had to employ one of them to look after it, you wouldn't be going to leave the shop to have lunch. It's, it's a fact, yeah. It's, they, they'll argue, they, my grandkids argue, and I, I grab it and I say, all right, what's 10 times 5? <laughs> Take your shoes off. <laughs> and that's, that's it. I say, no, you sit down and learn properly, and that's the way to do it. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot more distractions in schools now yeah. than there was before. And yeah. even when, because I see my little sister, she's nine, mm -hmm. and they don't really give her homework at all. That's so she'd just come home and watch yeah. TV all night. And you can be like, get up, read something. Read her for five minutes. Yeah. And she's like, I'm done. So there's really nothing to do. No. I was a kid. I used to go under the house. I had five sisters and a brother. And under the house there, I had a candle in it. And I'd sit under there reading. And all the way through that, and... They'd go to school and the teacher would get a shock, you know. How come he learned so much, yeah? And I wasn't supposed to. I said, you know, I read a lot. Yeah. And it does work. And crosswords, I love crosswords, you know. Oh, I get through them, I get them by the book later. Actually, like, what helped me learn English so quick was reading. Like, yeah. I used to read all night, all day. Yeah. Like, my mum would wake up at 6 o'clock yeah. in the morning and I'd still be awake reading books. That's it. And everyone was like, how did you learn English in, like, yeah. one year? That's amazing. And, like, I just yeah. read a lot. That's the best way to learn. I tell them that. I say, just pick books you like. I said, yeah. get into them. My kids, as I said, my oldest son's a school teacher in uh, Brisbane, that Merrimack, up there. He was a skeet at Kempsey High. He was there about eight years. He was a school teacher there. He played for the Broncos. His grandsons played two years in a row for Australia at University League. They went over to England, France, everyone defeated. Come back. Bronco signed him up, went to New Zealand. The bond with the mob went off a bloody trail bike, broke his collarbone, <laughs> and he ended up out for half the season. They sent him up to the Rockhampton Comets as one of their satellite teams. The Broncos hadn't won a game. He went up there, they won the comp. Everything, and he went over to America playing gridiron. So that was Chris McCall. And uh, yeah, they've had a fantastic run. I wanted to ask you I know that you do a lot of welcome to country, a lot mm. of events. What does that represent when you are out there on the stage giving the welcome to country speeches? What does that mean for you? And also, what does that mean to the people that are listening? The people that are listening, well, with welcome to country, that's something that everybody wants now. Years back, we had a few, but now with marketing of the Aboriginal communities around all our sports people that are made of famous, people are interested now in that. We go and welcome to the country, it's our country. It's always been Aboriginal land and always will be. That's uh, part of the, the motto. Yeah, I go up and I really put the whole heart and soul into it just to let them know that's our, what would you call religion, but we don't have a religion. That's our belief. And we let them know that it's our land. We look after our land. The land comes first. Money's nothing. We more or less worship the land. And as it can go through history, if it wasn't for our people, you wouldn't have up there along the north coast of Queensland, that right through the Daintree Forest, none of that. 
when they went through, they'd clear off and burn off all the way through. When you look back through history, it was the Aboriginal people that had it. And all out with all these rivers that they've dammed up and blocked, that had never happened back then. And now, look at it, all the drought and that, they yeah. need the water. We always had water holes and the rainbow soon, but that's the one where he's gone right through the cup and made all these rivers and everything for us. It's all part of our law, L-O-R-E. They often do uh, workshops on it when we go around. The kids at school, we go around where with a strong father, strong family. They used to go around to all the schools and we'd take around ditch players, dancers, and they'd separate the girls from the boys. That's what you do with uh, Aboriginal kids. And you'd, we'd take the boys and show them to play a didgeridoo and all boomerangs and kill sticks and everything was there. And the girls went away and they got told how to dance and all the women's talk. I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> it's really good education for them. Where was I then? <laughs> You're talking <laughs> about the, the welcome to country, yeah. what it represents. So you told about what it means to the people that are listening, but what does it mean to you as well? Well, to me, as I said, that is our deepest sign of respect for the Aboriginal people. We believe in it and we believe what we say. They were welcome to our country and they are welcome. But when I look at it, in 250 years of damage that's been done in that time, look at our rivers, look at them, they're all gone, polluted, everything. Where they've dug their mines, everything's it's shocking. Our old people, like the elders, the old elders, then they turn in their graves if they've seen what out went. And that's why when we welcome the country, we let them know that it is our country to look after it. And I feel great when I do it. I get up there now, and as I said, I said this is uh, yeah, this is something I really appreciate and really love doing. As I said, the feedback we get, well, I think Rachel, you've been to a couple and how they come back and they acknowledge me for doing it. And I say, well, that's good. We've got the message across. And that's, that's the part we've brought into the country. So amazing and so important. Yeah. Um, I know also that you're an Aboriginal elder. Yes. What does that mean? As I said, I've been a member there for nearly 25 years and I've been in that community and I'm 78. <laughs> you don't look at that, you're 21. 79. <laughs> yeah, I just told that <laughs> downstairs. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, 79 in February and I've been there, I was on the board for a couple of years and now I'm more or less the ambassador for the land council and I'd be going around everywhere and sort of... Uh, spread the word about Ganagara and all the things they do for the community. And as I said, that's what my job is. And as you're seeing here, you're mixed with all the politicians and the works, and they all want their photos taken with a member of the Land Council. As I was a member of the Land Council, yeah, and I said, yes. And they can see votes coming up. I <laughs> say, <laughs> so, yeah, but I've, I've found they've all been pretty good. Yeah. Next. <laughs> uh, so building up on an earlier point where you said the land is the most important and that you basically worship the land, yeah. how does it make you feel and what does it mean that climate change coming around and the Australian government's lack of action towards that? The current drought that we have yeah. as well. I went to a turnout at Bankstown a couple of months back and when I got there it was all the ones that had been hugging, tying themselves to fences and everything like that. It was the Labor Party. One I didn't know it was a political thing, I wouldn't have gone. But uh, anyway, we got down there and that comes back to the way the land's been neglected over the years. We had all those wells and everything out the back there. There was always plenty of water and uh, once they, they started damming up and bringing in this cotton fields and that, and it's all overseas companies. Yeah. 
it's like the coal mines are coming up there. They're going to bugger everything up again. Well, you know, that's going to affect the climate. It definitely will all the trees that are coming down. I forget how many trees they said this mob at Banks down. Because I said when I moved there as a kid, there was trees everywhere. All the way along the river, the reeds were up as high as this roof from the Henry Lawson Drive up there from the highway right through to Milperra Road down there. The reeds, we used to climb through them to go fish and throw out. They're all gone. They put those lakes in. They're all polluted down there. That, uh, all the lakes down there, they're all polluted. Everything. They're eating all the fish out there and getting crook, wonder why. But the whole, the whole system is all out of whack. Yeah. What it was, and as I said, it's all been neglected. And that's our people, even out in the central west, uh, in the central of Australia, you go around there. Well, actually, now they're actually closing down Uluru. Yeah. And you've seen the filth of it they leave. Mm -hmm. It's shocking. It's really bad. Yeah, they go out there, it doesn't matter. They'll, they'll start screaming now, oh, they're like so and so's are doing this. What right have they got? That's one of the most sacred sites around, yeah. And they let them on there, and it, it's, it's, it's putrid. I look at it and I go, God, how can you complain? It's going to take them months to clean it up. Yeah. And then all them ancient drawings and that in there, and they've ruined a lot of them. What would you say that us, the younger generation, or people mm -hmm. listening can do to clean up, heal the world if, if possible? Well, I know when they say climate change is really bad, it's not actually the human race. It's Put a fair bit to it, but you look how many volcanoes are going off around the world 24 hours a day and the stuff they're putting up there and they're blocking up. Well, Krakatoa and that, what was it, three to four days or something, there was no sun at all, you know, just all that. And, but I agree with the part, it seems a bit silly, but one day a week, stop all cars from going and stop all factories working, have that off, hard thing to ask them to do. But if they're serious and they think that's what's causing it, it's only at that one day a month even, and it makes a difference how many millions and millions of cars a day and the fumes that are going up. But as I said, with the volcanoes, they don't tell you like all over the world and how many hundred there are going off every day of the week sort of thing and all the smoke and the fumes and all the gases that come out of them. And it's got to affect the ozone layer sooner or later. And you give yourself another, say, 30 years and all these atomic tests and that, you don't know what's going on, so you've got all these different countries you can't get in to have a look, and they tell you this is that. But I, I reckon, yeah, look at today, it's going to be 36 degrees, they said, in this week, and it seems to come round. We were kids, you'd get the storms we had. Queensland, leaders from Queensland, they have the cyclones up there, the storms down here were worse. You'd have them low black clouds, we'd bolt, we'd see them coming, and they have a real hot day, and in the afternoon, bang, down that hail stones without a weather, they're like that, some are bigger. We'd run a night under the bed, yeah, because you didn't know what it was. As I said, climate change, but it was like that in the 40s, 1940s, 1950s, then we had a bit of a lull, the rivers, we had the worst floods ever. In the 1950s, Newcastle, you couldn't get from there to Wollongong and Wollongong to Nara. Every creek was flooded and the storms we had, as I said, lightning and the, ooh, it was shocking. Well, now it's back on that cycle. It's coming back in the heat. Before we were on Fahrenheit, it was 105, 110. And now it's changing. They say, oh, you're getting 20-something degrees and they don't know what it is that change over. I never can hear, I never worried about those centimetres and all that. We were always inches and yards and feet. And as I said, with this climate change, a bit hard. How, how are you going to fix it? Because, you know, 
as I said, with the pollution from the cows. Then again, the gas from the animals. Yeah. You've seen that? So what are you supposed to do? Go around half a dozen corks in years. Stop that right now. <laughs> <Bang>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, how the, that's the other thing, but it's it's that's a very, very touchy subject. It is. They so. all agree to do it, but they never do. You'll have to have at least a day, a month or something to try. That would slow it down a bit or go electric. Or at least if we can be more mindful, I guess, with mm-hmm. our usage of cars or maybe take public transport more. Yeah. Walking to places where you can, I guess yeah. that would help. So I know that you're involved with the New South Wales Police mm-hmm. at some capacity. What is that involved or what do you do? Well, I'm like a mediator. I talk to them both sides when it comes to any problems with the Aboriginal community. They trust me and they'll tell me their problems. I'll discuss it with the police and then we'll fix things up that way. How do you cope with troublesome situations? How do you deal with it personally? Sometimes I get really sick in the stomach of some of the things we have to put up with, but then you've got to wear it and uh, get around it. And once you get it sorted, then you've got to clear it for the community and that's where your your respect comes in because a lot of the people come and talk to you and you can talk to them and explain things and get that over with. Just to lighten up the mood a little bit, I know we've talked about your involvement with the community and how much you give back and that sounds so lovely but we want to know what are you passionate about, like what are your hobbies, what do you like, who are your personal heroes, tell us a bit more about that. I do a lot of gardening. I love gardening. Yeah, I got tomatoes, I got bloody corn, I got a great big olive tree. They're all waiting for them to come on. <laughs> yeah, mulberries, who likes mulberries? They're sick of them all, and they've got to rake up every morning. Fishing, I used to love fishing, go up to Cairns, up there every year, nearly, leaders from Cairns. And a lot of the times with the box, I used to watch Anthony Mundine and Tony, his father, and the other little mate he passed away, Seti McGrady. We'd done a story in our newsletter. They'd done a story on me, and that was uh, who was the one that was Seti McGrady. He came down from uh, Coonabarra Brand to Sydney to train the kids in boxing. And he had 108 fights and won 106 of them. And I said, Yeah, that uh, that was really a good time on that. Most most of the thing, but now I'm, what I do now, I like this kind of meeting people now, and it keeps active. I don't yeah. like sitting around, like people that say sitting around. I lost the weight. I was on diaforma tablets for diabetes. My mum's family, every one of them lost arms, legs, whatever you like. And it's nearly eight years ago. I was at the TAB and I couldn't see the board. I was shit, what's going on here? I can't <laughs> see. I went across the clinic. Diabetes, I thought I was oh, bulletproof. No. I lost a brother, he was in his 40s. My sister was in her 30s. My mother was 43. And two of my sisters, they got, they got breast cancer and diabetes. Anyway, I was on the diaforman for nearly four years, I think it was. And they said, what do you want to do? Do you want to see your grandkids grow up? And I said, of course I do. And she told me, she said, well, you have to stop smoking and drinking. So I said, okay. And lose a bit of weight. How much? 10 kilos. So I said, all right. So the next week I went in there and she said to me, she said, Emily smokes and drinks? I said, none. She said, you bullshit to me? And I said, no. I said, I haven't. She said, uh, you're serious? I said, I'm deadly serious. Anyway, I lost, in about two years, I lost 10 kilos. I'm on nothing. And I take now as a cholesterol tablet and a blood pressure tablet. It cleared a lot. 
and that was it. And I said, that's, no, that's a beauty. Can I just also ask about your wife, Nita? She yep. sounds really amazing, and we would like to know more about her as well. <laughs> She's here, I can't say too much. <laughs> <laughs> Just the good things. <laughs> oh, she's got a vicious left hook. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, she's very, very faithful. She loves coming to the meetings. And as I said, she's been coming there 20 years and she's known as Aunty Nita in the Aboriginal community. And she's about the only white woman that's won a bronze medal in the Aboriginal Olympics. I've got to tell you, i got a gold medal and a bronze medal. <laughs> wow. I was at the Western Sydney University campus at Milpera. Prue Goward was there. Anyway, I didn't know she was there. And, that, and it was all about carers. So I told her I got up and made the speech. said, when we were kids, we only had the church and the bloody truant officer. And you seen them come and you took off, you know, in the bush. Anyway, she got up. Oh, she said, Uncle Malcolm, that was unreal. Like talking about the carers, what great jobs they'd done and everything. Anyway, next minute, she says, have you got any uh, letter or anything before your name? She said, you've done anything spectacular? Anything? I said, oh, I've got a bronze medal in the Olympics and the, the oval was full. I said, he's got a bronze medal. He went, Rah! I said, i got a gold one too. And he's got a gold medal. <laughs> yeah, I'm walking around all there, pat me on the back. I didn't say it was the Aboriginal Olympics. Yeah. I, 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 I'm walking around the gold and okay, bronze medal. It's okay, it doesn't medal. matter. You know, well, it's more medal. details, it's yeah. fine. Well, Nita's got a bronze medal and, as I said, she comes to every meeting and they come out there and she had a ball. Now they all call her, honey and that. And she's always there. And that's it, I tell them that corny old jack about I take her everywhere I go so I don't have to kiss her goodbye. They'll kill him, Nina. Yeah. No, she does. She has a terrific time. I was divorced 20-something years, about 20 years, wasn't it? And I give Nina a lift home from the club. I still don't know where she lives. <laughs> Under my place. <laughs> so, and she's a, good, she's a good scout, see? <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> she, won't, she won't hit me in public. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. that's very yeah. sweet. Thank you for sharing that's that it. with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let it come in with this one here, the New South Wales Police. They got it there. They got it. Now it's a no drink area down at Miller. They all used to be sitting out the back there where they have their turnouts where we had them. I don't know if you've been out there, right? They were sitting there every day, full as boots, fighting and swearing and going right in front of the medical centre. So what we done then, they were really getting into it. And there's a few people, as I said, the one that got arrested and he ended up sitting in the front of the car. We actually, working with the police, and they cleared them all out. You can go down there, there might be three or four. They'll have it hidden. But if they get them now, they come along and they tip it out. They don't like that. I said, go on, sit there, go on over, get your beer, come back. I guarantee you won't have it in 10, 5 minutes. So now they've got their, oh, I'm dead set against it. Especially when the kids are there, they come over and they're drinking away and the kids are, can I get a chocolate or something? No, no, I haven't got any money. And they start, the women are the worst. When they've had a few beers under their belt, that's it. Yeah, they'll start, and you've got to be very, very careful. Yeah. The blokes you'd handle, you can grab them, rough them up, but the women, they're really, like, you can't do much. You just put your hand out, and nobody starts swinging punches or whatever they got. But that's one of the main things is uh, alcohol and drugs. That's the one thing, like, especially when it's uh, family violence. And I can say this, they have got a special team for that and they do a great job. 
that's at Liverpool, that uh, the committee. They do a great job, the women there. And uh, now with that uh, AVO, that's the other thing, they, they put it on and you can't pull out of it. What they were doing was arresting them for this when they'd go down drunk. The same ones, that, that was the main reason. They come home drunk on a Friday night and Saturday night, Sunday, they're in jail. Monday morning when they go to court, the wife runs up, I don't want to lay charges, I don't want to lay charges. Well, now they can't do that. So that's that thank one. Thank you, thank you yeah. for doing the work that you're doing in regards to that. I also wanted to ask you, um, Western Sydney, it's a very multicultural it is, place. Yeah, and I feel like the over the years it, it's become yeah. even more multicultural. Mm-hmm. And how have you seen, like, for example, the similarities between many of the immigrants and their cultures and with, with the Aboriginal cultures as well? You just hit the nail on the head. There's a new one at Fairfield. That's the Aboriginal and Refugees. They're starting, I was over there, oh, say three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a uh, call, can you go and do a welcome? It's over in Spencer Street. We're over there and I, I goes up at the Chinese Emporium. They have all the weddings and everything there. And you walk up the stairs like the temples in street up in Spencer, so I goes up and I walked in, I oh, jeez, look at it. There was a thousand chairs set out. They were absolutely chock-a-block full. Round the walls, there was a couple of hundred there at least. They were all refugees. Now they've combined with the Aboriginal community and making it a one big, uh, like a council. I'm gonna find out the name for it and I'll let you know. But yeah, there's, oh, there was 1,400 just refugees there. And that's when uh, Guy Sangari, Frank Carboni, the old mate Paul Lynch, they were all there. We were sitting there and I got the shock. And uh, Lachlan Murdoch, he was the other one. So they were all over there. But that's one there and that's one of the biggest areas here in Fairfield for the Aboriginal community. So that was a good one. It just come in, they've all merged with this refugee group. You'll be hearing a lot of them, yeah. so they'll be combining with Gandagara, I'd say, because it's in our area. And have you yourself seen any similarities between the cultures of the non-Aboriginal um, immigrants and you know, Aboriginals? Well, it's hard to explain them because the Aboriginal culture is different altogether because i got my family, Lebanese and the different Muslim and Christian, and everyone's different, but that's why I tell them all to learn their own, plus the Australian one. It's hard to explain it because it is, they're all definitely different altogether. Because yeah. our culture is mainly part on family and the land. That's our main thing. Look after the land and your family. That's your most important and respect. That's their main word. Don't know how you say it. Camilla Royal Wiradjuri is one of the yeah. biggest clans going, but that is the word respect. And building on that, so like, and building on that, so what does same, same, different mean to you? Well, I, I think these sort of things are good. If you can shout and all the communities watching, they can judge what they think. I might have improved some of their thoughts and they can probably tell me a few more things. And if they can contact you back and just correct anything that I've missed out on, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure I've been through most of it, but you'll find the uh, ones that are away from the city out in the country areas, they're the ones that really follow the culture to the T. With the young ones here... It's different, yeah. But this is what we want to do: is teach them the proper culture, let them to learn. In their every country, there's, I think, about six hundred different dialects. There might be a bit more, but we can't find one for around here. Two one six eight. That was a group of women at Ashcroft and the men's group. 
we were going to do all the street signs, put a different animal, and then the Cabrigal language put underneath it. We couldn't find anyone speak the Cabrigal language. That is this area. It's not Ganagara. Like, uh, our fellow Saunders, when they opened the uh, land council up, he got a pulse up. He said Gandangara, G-A-N. The real name is Gundangara, and that starts up the mountains. Down here, it's Cabrigal land. The Cabrigal grub is the totem, whereas now we've got the goanna on me shirt pocket, which is not right because my one's the eagle from uh, Hunter Valley. Everyone's got their own totem. Everyone's called a different country. And that says it's all those different dialects. You'd have fun learning them. <laughs> so I guess it's about teaching each other. Yeah. Well, now, in the school, see, with the Aboriginal languages, they weren't allowed to teach. My mother wasn't allowed to, to speak one word language in the 40s. That was barred. Yet foreign people could come out here and speak their language. They could vote after about three or four years, as I said, and then we had to wait 1960 cents when referendum come in. And when you look back through it, it's really bad what happened, but as I said, it, it will improve, or we hope so. It's slowly, but it is getting a bit better. The kids are getting better education, and that's our main. We'll be giving out sponsorships and scholarships next year, in the new year, and then uh, let's hope it goes. Is that right? Yeah, it's raining. I thought that was rain. I thought it was rain. I thought it was rain. Yeah, they said it might rain. No, well, that's, uh, that's the main thing. But I think these are good because, as I said, it'll go out to the communities and they can take note of what I've said and, as I said, they can correct me. Oh, I might have taught them something. I hope I have. And I'm willing to learn. Don't be shy. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Let so much, Thank, Thank you so much for being here. Thanks today. for having me. I can no, say for me and Sarah, definitely, yeah. we've yeah. learned a lot today from talking no, to you. No, that's good. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. No problem. To find out more, visit wsmrc.org.au forward slash SAME. Hey Harshi, did you know that this podcast is actually funded by the Multicultural New South Wales? No, I did not know. But yeah. did you know? I just found out. <laughs> <laughs> did you also know that Audio Technica has funded much of this podcast as well? No, I did not. Thank you so much for letting me know. Yes, and thank you, Audio Technica and Multicultural New South Wales, for helping us bring the stories of the West in Sydney to the world. <laughs> <laughs>